You are listening to a presentation of Streams Church in Goodyear, Arizona. For more audio and visual content, go to streamschurch.org. And now, Pastor Lloyd Baker. What you may or may not know is that every six months or so we all get together and collaborate on the messages that we feel like God is calling us to speak to the congregation. We pray together, we talk together, we put together the messages, we, we theme them out. And there's a common conversation and even joke running joke with pastors that it just seems like whatever series of messages that we're in, God brings along life situations so that we can have sermon illustrations. And it just seems to parallel the sermon series that we're doing. Um, it gives us great illustrations. Um, God allows us uh, to have empathy for those who are going through those situations. He allows the events of our life to mirror the messages that we speak um, so that we can be more effective. And it, and it just seems to be true all the time that whatever the sermon series is, seems like I go through a lot of the same stuff. So my question is, because I'm a little foggy for the guys that plan these sermons, is who was it that came up with the idea that when I came back, we would have a sermon series called Lifesavers? Because <laughs> I want to know who that was. that you? That was Josh. Okay. Josh is fired, all right? <laughs> How to save a life, I think, was the original terminology. Um, so next year, I think this sermon series, when I came, come back from vacation, is going to be health, wealth, and prosperity. <laughs> How to make a million dollars overnight. <laughs> Something like that, okay? Um, two weeks ago, my compadre started a new sermon series called Lifesavers, Relationships That Change Lives. And week one, Pastor Allen spoke about influence. What I want to say about this is so we all have influence. It's God-directed, divinely appointed, and it's uniquely exclusive influence that you have. We all need to understand that God, in all His wisdom, is able to interweave the universe together, and He set you in positions that are not only unique to you, they're exclusive to you. And no one has the access to certain relationships that you do. Uh, no one has the influence to certain relationships that you do. It's imperative that you have this as a cemented baseline or else you're going to deflect this responsibility. Uh, your home, your job, your friends, your fantasy football league, your book club, whatever it is you're involved in, are divinely established relationships. And can we, can we come to a faith level to believe that God has placed us in specific situations with other human beings that are divinely intentional? Otherwise, we're going to deflect it to somebody else. Life-saving is for the professionals like the pastors or somebody who's out, more outgoing. It's just not my thing. And the baseline for life-saving is that God has placed me in unique and exclusive relationships. And I have influence okay, over individuals. And every person has a unique, I call it, sphere of influence that is, that is uniquely yours. Friends, family, coworkers, people that you impact Positively, negatively, but never neutrally. So you impact them positively, negatively, but you're never neutral in your impact. Last week, Pastor Jason talked about inviting them into life. It's part of our job. If we have the sphere of influence, if it is divinely appointed, then as a follower of Jesus, we believe the sphere of influence is divinely appointed for us to invite people into the life-saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and His love that can only be found in Him. Uh, today I want to talk about investing and investments. 
I want us to briefly look at a very familiar scripture found in Galatians chapter 6, 7 through 10. I fought off a cold at the beginning of this week, so I'll probably be taking a moment or two to help my throat out. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. And in this scripture, we find one core statement and two commands. The core statement is very easy. is we reap what we sow, or we can only, only make withdrawals from where we invest. It's pretty self-explanatory. You can only gather fruit from a tree that you've planted. You can only get a harvest from seeds that you've actually planted. The scripture is telling us this, that you can only bring back withdrawals from what you've invested. You have to invest first to be able to make a withdrawal. You reap what you sow. The first command that we see in the scripture is do not become weary. Don't get tired of doing this. Don't stop making investments. Don't get to that place. And our natural inclination is to always think in the present tense, the present situation. Especially when times get hard or complicated. When times get tough, we go... what into survival mode. And we tend to use all our resources just to survive today. And you saw that especially a couple of years ago when we hit the economy crashed. People went into survival mode. And we've also found that people tend to self-medicate a lot in troubled times to ease the stress and pain. And so when I sit down with people to help them with their finances and I look at their budget, what's interesting is they'll cut back on investing, whether that's investing in God's kingdom by giving or investing in their future by, by creating a savings account. But they don't stop investing in things like their $100 cable TV bill, right? Because it's something to help them get through the stress or whatever that looks like to you. And so when things get tough, one of the things we do is we go into survival mode and we cut back in investings. And the scripture says here, don't become weary, tired in investing. Don't stop that process. And the second command is this, is that when you have the opportunity and it presents itself, do good. To all people. Or make the most of every opportunity to invest. Because you only get so many opportunities to invest. I don't know if you've ever talked to somebody who said, ah. Somebody talked to me once about Facebook before it even started to hit. You need to invest in Facebook. I'm like, yeah, 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 whatever. Now I wish I would invest in Facebook. You know what I mean? Have you ever heard that story? I, I should have. I know. I, you know, I, you have opportunities to invest. And when you have those, you need to take those opportunities. And when you've given, you've been given influence, you need to leverage those situations. That takes wisdom, it takes godly insight. Because, and here's the key, listen to me. There will be a day when you need to make a withdrawal. There's gonna come a day in your marriage when you hit the rocks, when it gets rough, you're gonna have to make a withdrawal. With your children, with relationships. Every relationship has a bank. It has an emotional bank. It has a spiritual bank that you make investments into and sometimes withdrawals. Personally, we have intellectual banks. We have physical banks. We make investments into them. Throughout life, we make deposits into those banks 
so that later on when we need it, we can make withdrawals. Now recently, God has afforded me the privilege of seeing the backside of that equation. Because foresight is always the issue. When you sit down with an investment strategist and project how you want your retirement, what you want your retirement to look like, they're going to ask you, well, how do you want to live when you retire? And you say, well, I really want to live the good life. And they're going to tell you we need to put about X amount of dollars every month for X amount of years. And if you do that, when you retire, you'll be able to get out of that, withdraw X amount of money. Well, then life starts to happen and things get rough. We back off the investments. And we start looking at our retirement and say, well, you know what? The good life may not be attainable. So I'm just good with an RV or a duplex or something like that. You know, I'll just live there. And then life gets tougher. And after a while, you're asking your children if you can just put a tent up in their backyard. (laughs) Can I just pop up a tent there? I'll shower once a week. It'll be okay. And, you know, it just happens that way. Because because we think present tense and we have the inability for foresight has to be able to see down the road that investments actually pay the dividends on our journey. And it's a difficult thing because we live for the moment, we live for today. Well, I've had a, I'm going to tell you my story recently. I've had the opportunity to see the backside of that equation. And I'm going to tell you how important it is to invest today. Because you never know, trust me, when you might have to make a withdrawal. Um, a couple months ago, or actually in a couple months, we're going to have our 10-year anniversary of our church. We started 10 years ago, the first Sunday of October with 45 people. And we're here today, and the elders where I were talking, they thought, you know what? You've done great for 10 years. We want another great 10 years out of it. You should take an extended summer break, a vacation. And so Judy and I planned to go see my daughter, our daughter in Japan, and uh, we bought a rail pass to go travel all of southern Japan. We planned on stopping in Seattle to see my sister on the way home. We're going to go to Victoria, British Columbia for a couple days and a better breakfast to celebrate our 28th anniversary. And uh, I decided to take a side trip into a Japanese hospital for 15 days <laughs> instead. Um, some of you know, after 10 days of being in Japan, I actually was having feeling ill. I wasn't feeling well. Uh, I was having problems urinating. And on a Friday night at 1 in the morning, I woke up with a 101.5 degree temperature. Judy gave me a couple of Tylenol and went back to sleep after the temperature went down. At 10 o'clock the next morning, it's hard to explain. I went into violent tremors. It was, it was like... Um, Going into a, uh, uh, somebody help me out, see, I'm tired. Seizure, but I was coherent. And Judy held me down, and Sarah held me down, and I, about 15 minutes I went into this. And then when I came out of it, I went into a 103 degree temperature, and they convinced me to go to the outpatient, because men don't like to go to the hospital, the doctors, right? They, you need to go to the outpatient. So I went to an outpatient clinic, and the man spoke some English. He diagnosed me with a urinary tract infection, gave me some IV antibiotics. I felt a little better, sent me home with medicine, had dinner that night. Then at 8 o'clock, I went into even deeper convulsions, began to uh, vomit. They were holding me down. My son-in-law came in and saw the scene and immediately called the ambulance that night. The interesting thing is, when the ambulance got there, the tremors had stopped, and I had a 104-degree temperature, and I didn't know this at the time, but my son-in-law had heard them speaking in Japanese. And they were like, what are we doing with this guy? He just has a temperature. We're just taking the hospital. Like this weak American. He, he gets a little fever and he wants to go to the hospital. Um, I went to the ER room. 
And needless to say, I was in Japan, so it was a small bed. <laughs> I had major back and neck pain, high fever. They got the blood results back, and the ER doctor just kept saying in his broken English, very critical, very critical, very critical. I later found out that uh, my white blood count was down to 800. 4,000 is the minimum. It's supposed to be four to 10,000. Um, I had acute kidney injury. They had asked Judy to sign off on a document in case I had to go on dialysis. Um, they, I had, and I don't even know how to pronounce it. It's called DIC, but it's a, it's a condition where your blood goes into protection mode and begins to clot to the place that you can no longer clot. And the severe cases of that is you begin to just bleed out without even an injury and you can't stop the bleeding and a person will bleed out. And I had that in my blood. And there was an infection in my blood that they could not find. And so my blood went into septic shock. And we didn't understand the ramifications. Somebody said, why didn't you tell the church to pray? Well, I, I don't know. I was, they were speaking Japanese and we didn't quite understand. And that first Sunday, I just knew I was in the ICU unit. Um, later on, I, I began to figure out how critical it actually was. They ran every test in the world. I was going from one place to the next. Um, my veins had been collapsing and I was dehydrated. It took them seven times to get an IV in. They did a spinal tap and it took them three times to try to get some fluid out. Um, I, uh, they couldn't find the source. So they flooded my body with antibiotics and then flooded it with fluid to keep me alive. My blood pressure went down to 60 over 30. And uh, they literally had all the doctors who were just trying to figure out how to keep me alive. And a lot of people, I've, I've heard of it, it was a little bit like uh, going through chemotherapy. They were killing everything and then trying to put more stuff into me to keep me alive because they didn't find the source. The next day, my white blood counts came back up. I was out of the woods, but they didn't have a source of um, my infection. So I, there I lay in ICU for five days. My bed is too short for me. My neck and back are in severe pain, but they wouldn't medicate me for fear of masking their investigation of where this was coming from. I can't sleep well because I have a pick line in my arm and a pick line in my neck and catheter and a mask on my face. Um, I'm in a lot of pain. All I have is a Japanese TV there. <laughs> I don't understand any of it. And for some reason, in the middle of a baseball game, they'll cut away to some seaweed commercial for an hour and, and they'll come back to the baseball game. And how see, you know, it's an infomercial about seaweed and how good it's for. I guess. I don't know. I don't understand. Um, they only allowed Judy to visit me two hours a day. The nighttime male nurse didn't speak any English, so he put a translator on his computer so he could type it in in Japanese, and then it would come up in English, the phrase he was trying to ask me. And one of the funniest moments was, he was trying to ask me what the pain level in my neck was, and so he typed it in, and this is what came up on the screen. What pain in neck you are. <laughs> And I started laughing and he thought I was offended. <laughs> and somebody asked me, he said, how do you know that wasn't what he really was asking? <laughs> or asking what? I said, well, I guess I don't know. Um, and there I was. Uh, but God had a plan. And God had divine appointments. The daytime nurse was the 34-year-old young lady who had spent a year in Boston. And they assigned her to me because she spoke English well. Her name is Akiko. 
she thought I was a priest. I kept trying to tell her I was a pastor, and she kept thinking priest and trying to put the Catholic thing on it. And so I began to explain to her the difference between rules-based religion and a relationship with Jesus Christ and how God loves you and wants a relationship with you. And I'm trying to break this barrier with her and trying to talk with her. And so I finally just said, Jesus made it so simple. He said, if you could love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and love each other as you love yourself, that's as simple as you have to make it. And I said, wouldn't this be an amazing world if everybody could live by that code? Just love God with all their heart and then love each other as they love themselves. And she sat there in meditation. And you could tell she was thinking and the wheels were turning. And of all the things that she could say to me in that statement, she says this, but what if you don't love yourself? And I went, aha, I know why I'm here. And I began to talk to her about how she was unique, how God loved her, how she had a special gift, that she was helping save my life and the influence that I would have with other people. And and that was very unique. And God loved her for that, how much he cared for her just because of who she is and how beautiful she was. And she had seen my relationship with Judy because Judy would come and and Judy would tell me that she loves me. And and she says, I'm dating a man and I, I wouldn't mind marrying him. And I see how your wife says that she loves you, but he won't even tell me he likes me. And I said, why is this? Why do you feel this way about yourself? And she began to tell me that her sister and how great her sister was and how her dad was so proud of her sister and she was married and had children and so successful. And I could tell she had deep father issues. After several days, the blood cultures came back and I had a unique strain of E. coli poisoning. People ask me where I got it from. It's actually very, very unique to get what I got. They say like one in 800,000 to a million. <laughs> yeah, I like getting those type of uh, things. Um, you actually have E. coli in you. I don't know if you knew that. It processes your food and we just flush it out of our body. And once in a very, very, very blue moon, it'll get stuck and it gets stuck in my urinary tract, begin to breed, went back into my colon and went back into my blood and poisoned my entire blood system. Um, after five days, I left the ICU and they put me into, the, into a general hospital room because they had to kill this thing, make sure it was killed before they let me leave the hospital. And as I was leaving, Akiko, Akiko walked me out and she said, will you come visit me before you leave the hospital? And I said, yes, I will, but I'm going to ask a favor of you. And I said, yes. I said, Do you, will you allow me to pray for you? See, I would love for you to pray for me. I said, then I'm going to be praying for you while I'm in the hospital. I'm going to be praying for you from then on. The 10 days I spent in in the general room were uh, filled with many opportunities to invest into people's lives and to share God's love. One nurse told me, all the other nurses are talking behind your back. (laughs) But they are saying how nice you are, how much you care for people, and how tall you are. They actually had to make a special bed for me and bring in an extra pad and, and covered it up. And She also told me that Friends was her favorite TV show and that Judy was so sweet and beautiful and reminded her of Jennifer Aniston. <laughs> I said, Jennifer Aniston only wished she was like Judy, right? <laughs> That's right, come on. <laughs> um, when I... When I got to release from the hospital, I was tired, and so I immediately went home to rest. Um, 
When I returned home, I went to my family physician and they had written up a report in English for him so he could follow up with blood work. He's been Judy's physician since she was 13 years old. So he's been practicing for about 16 years. <laughs> Actually, he's been with me for 28 years. He's, he, doesn't, he only works a couple hours a day and doesn't take any more patients. Just the greatest doctor, honestly, I've ever been with in my life. He's fantastic. But he tells it like it is. He's one of those guys. So I go and he starts reading the report. <laughs> and all he does, he, he just starts swearing. He looks at me and he's, oh. And he looks at me and he just keeps doing this back and forth. And, he's, and that's not a good sign when all your doctor's just swearing. <laughs> when they're reading the board. And he said to me, in all my 40 plus years, I've seen this twice. And he said, one more day and you'd have been dead. Uh, the interesting thing is the next day we were leaving on our train trip going to a city that we didn't know anybody. Um, we were going to be traveling. I went to a urologist to follow up with that. He looked down and he was shaking his head. And he looked at me and he's a little older than I am. And he says, all my years of practice, I've never seen an extreme, this extreme of a case that actually survived. He says, you were lucky you were not in a rural area or even half the hospitals in Phoenix because they wouldn't have caught it. It looks like you were in an amazing hospital. One of the, and I was. I was in one of the best hospitals in all of Japan. It was a teaching hospital like the University of Arizona where they had some of the best professors and teachers. In fact, there was a girl that graduated from Harvard Medical School that decided to go back to Japan and be a part of this university because she felt for her. And she was a part of the team that caught this. And he says, most places wouldn't have caught this. It's just I've never seen a case survive like this. Um, the bill, because I was in Japan, was only twenty. $6,000. And we were concerned because my medical insurance only went up to 50000 15 days in the hospital, five days in ICU. That doesn't happen in the States, does it? I'd have been in trouble here. Um, so here I am, one of the best hospitals, one of the most efficient, perfectionist, first-world nations of the world. 30-year-old doctor that graduated from Harvard that came back who's brilliant. And the miracle of all this is, and it's tough to wrap yourself around this theology, Sometimes, but the miracle was I was in the right place at the right time with the right doctors so that I could be rescued from death. Does that make sense? And God had prepared me for that. And days after being released, I met with a pastor in Japan and he referenced Hezekiah. He says, you know the story of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was going to die and he prayed and God gave him a second chance and gave him 15 more years. He goes, no, God can give you more, more than 15 years if he wants to. I'm just saying that Hezekiah, Hezekiah only got 15 years. But he said, what are you going to do with this? What great things now? You've got a second chance. And he wanted this great epiphany for me that I was going to do all these powerful and wonderful things, that this was earth-shaking. And I'd already thought through some of this stuff, honestly. And I said, here's some of, my, some of the things that happened to me. So number one, I was interested because I just wasn't afraid of dying at any moment. I didn't quite get all the story, but I knew it was, it was critical. I knew it was bad, but I just never had that fear in my life. I, I, I don't. I believe heaven is real, and I'm confident with 100% that I'm going there, and I just I felt good about that. 
It's interesting. He didn't have any regrets. Those flashbacks. I wish I would have. I wish I've, I've lived my life differently. I, I never leave I love you's on the table. When I feel it, I say it. I hug my wife. I love my wife. I, I shower my children with lots of love and grace. And I, I just don't feel like when God says to, to speak to somebody, I usually do. I didn't feel any of that. The honestly, the, the weird thing is I felt very, very guilty. I mean, I went through this deep guilt because I saw the looks on the faces of my family that I was going get to a, get out a jail-free card, that I got to go to heaven, and they'd be left with sort of the pain and all this. And it really broke me for a while, and I, I had to deal with that, and I did. And so this guy says, well, well what are you going to do with this? I mean, he wanted me to say, I thought, oh, thousands of people are going to save, we're going to start 15 churches. I said, well, God spoke to my heart what to do with this. Intimacy. To spend more time in intimacy with him, with my family, and with the people I love. And it, he, it, it looked like I was speaking a foreign language to this guy. I said, let me tell you a philosophy I've lived with for most of my life. That if at the end of the day, I can lay my head down on my pillow and tell God... That when you prompted me in your spirit to speak to somebody, I did. When you told me to say yes, I did that. When you told me to say no, I did that. I spent my energy loving on my family, doing the best that I could today. And I can honestly lay down tonight and say, God, everything you asked me to do, I did today. If I can do that every day, I never have to worry about the future because the future will always turn out right. And so God spoke to me to dive deeper into intimacy. And see, what happened to me during this whole thing is I got to see the fruit of my investments. And it made me want to invest more. In February 2012, God spoke to me about my health. I had weighed the most I ever weighed in my life. I, and so the next year and a half, I don't know why, I just felt this compelled to drop Wait, and I dropped 35 pounds when I was in Japan. I wanted to stay in shape. I'd been in the best shape I'd been in 10 years. And so I walked the stairs. I never took the escalator or the elevator the whole time I was in Japan, the first part of it. My daughter lives on the seventh floor of an apartment complex. So I was, they'd get in the elevator, boom, I was up and I was down. God knew that I needed strength. 50% of the people that walk in the hospital with my situation die. But they told me you were strong and I was prepared. I invested into my... F- God spoke to me. He prepared me to get ready. I invested deeply in my relationships with my wife and my family. The nurses were amazed when my family my wife showed up and the, and the love and the relationship that we had and the times that she got to spend there. I, I didn't regret anything with how I loved on my children. I was faithful in my giving to God and I believe He covered all the finances because of that, of my hospital stay. And out of nowhere, I was placed in a situation where I was having to make withdrawals from the investments that I had made. And there was enough there physically, emotionally, spiritually that I didn't have to go bankrupt. I don't know if that makes sense. I got to see the backside. And some would say that strong faith is never having to be put in a circumstance like that. 
to begin with. And I say strong faith is never having to change your mode of operation regardless of the circumstance that you're in. That you live every day like that. That it doesn't change. Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, 11 through 13, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fared or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Jesus Christ who gives me strength. And I have this theology that God places me in unique and exclusive situations so that I can always make investments in the lives of other people that He loves. Even in the ICU room of a hospital. My ammo didn't change. I can't help it but to invest. Instead of, oh God, why am I here? It was like, oh God, why do you have me here? Where's the opportunity? What are you asking me to do? Where can I invest? And it's tough when you're all, you know, got stuff in you and a mask on and wearing a diaper to share the love of Jesus with people, okay? <laughs> but, but I did. Akiko had asked me, uh, the ICU nurse, to come visit her before I left. And honestly, when I got released, I was tired and wanted to go home and rest. But I had to go back on five days later to pay the bill before we left. So I went up to the ICU room and I had somebody go get her and she came running out the doors. And she ran up to me and just gave me this embrace. And Judy was there and my daughter was there and just hugged me, which is very non-Japanese. And she wouldn't let go. And she said, the doctor told me that you had left and you didn't stop to say goodbye. And I was worried I wouldn't see you again. I said, no, I wouldn't do that. I told you I'd come by. I just was tired. I wanted to go home. And the next words out of her mouth as she stepped back, she said, are you still praying for me? And I said, yes, I'm still praying for you. And I'll tell you something. If you want to change lives, whether it's your family or friends or co-workers, you've got to make investments today. You've got to be investing, investing, investing. Because the investments you make today determine the withdrawals that you make tomorrow. Trust me right now, I'm an expert on this. The investments you make today determine the withdrawals that you can make tomorrow. I want to take a moment of just silence and I ask you maybe to um, close your eyes or whatever. And, and I know I want to let God to speak to your heart because I know some of you here today, there are people that maybe you've given up on and you need to reinvest in that relationship. And it may be your marriage, it may be your children. It may be a friend or a coworker, but there's just a situation that God wants you to invest. He's given you a unique and exclusive influence in a person's life, and you need to be investing in their life by sharing love and God's grace and being a friend for them. And I just want you to take a moment to think about that. Now I'm going to ask you, if you will, if you'll stand with me, I'd like to do two things. I'd like you to have uh, you pray with me for Akiko. Would you do that with me? And then we're going to pray for whoever it is that God has placed on your heart. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I just pray for Akiko. And I thank you, Father, that uh, you placed me in that room with her. I believe it's a divine appointment. 
I pray that you'd open up her heart to know how much she is loved by you, how precious she is in your sight, that she is uniquely made, that she has a divine purpose in this life, and that you have placed people in her life because of how much you love her. Let her accept your grace and your salvation as I explained it to her. May she find a man that will lavish love on her and tell her how much he loves her. I pray that your grace would be extended to her and it would be life-changing. And we pray for those who you brought to our hearts, Father, because we do want to change lives. We want to see people turn around, come to the kingdom, and, and their marriages turn around. So help us and give us the wisdom and the insight to speak into those lives, to invest into those lives. Give us the passion not to give up, not to become weary. And give us the eyes to see every opportunity, every opportunity to do good for other people so they can know how powerful and wonderful you are. So we pray for that person right now. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Streams Church in Goodyear, Arizona. Email any questions to streamschurch at msn.com. The mission of Streams Church is very simple, to lead people into their life calling, a relationship with Jesus Christ that is challenging, growing, and purposeful. For more information about service times, location, or events, go to streamschurch.org.